Trails are forged over time, one footstep after the next. They are etched into the hard, cold earth as one person follows another, each traveler doing a small part to make the way clear for those who come behind. Each person's journey imprinted on the landscape. But then, someone bravely steps off the trail and explores in a new direction. He looks for a new adventure, and his daring beckons others to follow. And step after step, a new trail is formed. Yes, the old trail remains, the paths formed over countless years by numerous travelers. Forgotten? Maybe. Grown over? Perhaps. Yet still so important. These paths tell a story. These paths point the way. These paths lead to places where we need to go. These paths lead to a God that we need to know. These paths are the ancient paths. Life Trails, take your next step. So we've discovered something in the sound department today. This little thing right here needs to go into this little thing right here. And it was in my back pocket. And uh, that was why we had the problem there earlier. So I would like to, to give a, uh, a grant a pardon or, uh, to the uh, sound booth back there. That was my fault, not theirs. So my apologies, guys. And sorry to give you a heart attack back there. You don't get to see everything that's going on. When something goes wrong in the sound, you know, heads are popping up and there's huddles back there. And sorry to do that to you guys. So we're all hooked up and ready to go. So we've been reading some scripture this morning. And there are churches across, not just America, but across uh, the globe that are actually reading those exact same passages in their church services this morning. And so we come to a fourth passage. It's in actually in Luke chapter 4, and I would like to encourage you to turn with me there today. And so we're going to use this passage from the lectionary to actually help us celebrate this first Sunday of Lent which is actually part of the uh, liturgical calendar. And so if you can turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, I'm going to read through this passage. And then we're going to look, talk a little bit about what it has to do with life today and also about some of these ancient paths uh, of, of church and days gone by, like lectionary, like the liturgical calendar, all of these things that can be, help us, uh, that can be helpful to us in our following of Christ. And so Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, Jesus, full of the Spirit, left Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone who I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for he is written, and Chris earlier read this scripture, 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a later time. And this is the passage that introduces Lent. And if you're looking at this and trying to think through Lent and saying, I'm not exactly sure what the connection is, I'll try to get to it in a minute. But one of the obvious connections I've already mentioned is that idea of food. And Lent is a time when you go without food, and this is a time in Jesus' life when he went without food. But if you look at this passage really closely, this is not really talking so much about fasting. It is, it is talking about connecting with God, and even more specifically, how to handle and how to face temptation in your life. And so as we dive into this passage here this morning, that's where we want to go. Because all of us deal with this idea of temptation in our stories. Now, interestingly enough, oftentimes our struggles with temptation involve food. Have you noticed that? You know, we're, we're tempted to eat more than we should. We're tempted to have a, a, another cookie. We're, we're tempted in, in so many ways. But that's not unusual. You can go back through Scripture. In fact, we remember the original sin. What did it Revolve around food. You, you can't eat of any of this tree, or you can eat of all the trees except for this one. And it was a temptation that has to do with food. And this is nothing new. In fact, I don't know this is an ancient path, but there's been some research done just about the strength of the food temptation. And so we have a little video that uh, we've got queued up for you that's called the marshmallow test. And maybe you're familiar with it. So let's watch that this morning. marshmallow test is a really great way to show how children delay gratification. We tried it out with the four children we've been following since September 2010, Alfie, Millie, Mackay, and Pratmesh. Here's how it works. We had each child on their own sit at the table at a desk with uh, a plate and one marshmallow. They could either choose to eat the marshmallow, the one marshmallow right then and there, or they could wait until I came back into the room and have two marshmallows. I left them alone in the room for 15 minutes. Take a look. The marshmallow test has been used for decades by psychologists. It's been used with children to predict later academic success, including literacy, SAT scores, and other academic outcomes. There's no definitive answers from the marshmallow test. It's not a matter of passing or failing. What we're looking for is whether children can really resist this piece of white candy sitting in front of them that's sweet, that, you know, the smell of it, the allure of the marshmallow. In Pratmesh's case, we really saw this added curiosity because he had never actually tasted a marshmallow before. All of the children managed to show some level of self-control and resist the temptation to eat the whole marshmallow. As you can see from the footage, you can catch a glimpse into children's ability to control their impulses. This ability, which is developed around the time of kindergarten, can be linked to other outcomes later in life. At the end, the marshmallows were in kind of different states. Some had been squished, ripped apart, nibbled around. There was this temptation and there was this impulse to kind of try it out. Ha <laughs> ha 
So we're going to have the ushers come forward right now and pass out your marshmallow. If you can make it to the end of the service, we'll give you two. Just kidding. But this was a temptation that was presented to Christ, and there's a reasonable temptation. He'd been 40 days out in the wilderness where there really was no food, and the devil comes to him and says, hey, you know what? You're probably hungry. Why don't you... Uh, why don't you make some food for yourself? You're God. You can do that. And he gives them this temptation. And then he goes on and he gives, them two, he gives Jesus two more temptations. But Jesus responds in such a way that's really fascinating to me. And it really takes this story that is just, in a sense, given to me on this first Sunday of Lent. And it really combines that with these ancient paths that we've been talking about. Because the way that Jesus responds to this temptation gives evidence to an ancient path that he had actually followed. And we'll mention here in just a minute. But you know, our temptations today sometimes involve food, but our temptations also involve so many other things, don't they? Sometimes our temptations are, are entertainment choices. And sometimes our temptations are how we spend and handle our money. And sometimes our temptations are uh, the desire to gossip about somebody or to complain about something. And maybe our temptation is stinginess. Or maybe your temptation is to just lose your cool and, and blow your temper. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you have a temptation just to to run with the wrong kinds of friends, and you know they have the wrong influence on you, but, but you like them. And maybe that's another temptation, is the fact that you want to be liked, and you're, you're willing to do just about anything or say anything so that you can be liked. Sometimes the temptation is just to throw in the towel and say, okay, I'm just done with this whole thing, and to walk away from it. But my question to you is, what is the greatest temptation that you're facing today? Because this ancient path that we're about to talk about can help you Resist your, or excuse me, increase your resistance. Increase your resistance. So here's the setup. Jesus is in the wilderness, and the wilderness is a barren and spartan, lonely place. He's the only one out there. It's dark at night. It's probably cold at night and day. There's just nothing there. It's him and God and really nobody else until the, the devil comes up and shows up there. And he's been on this fast, and whether it was deliberate or whether it was because of the, the uh, setting there, but he hasn't eaten in 40 days. In, in the, the devil shows up there at a time of great physical weakness where Jesus is fatigued, where life has been hard, and in that moment, he is particularly, I believe, vulnerable to the temptation of the devil there. But it's interesting to me how he got into the wilderness in the first place. Did you notice that? It was the Spirit of God that led Jesus into this difficult place. And I don't believe that God ever tempts us, and I don't believe that God ever deliberately hurts us or harms us. But God does put us into the place where we face hardship sometimes because he has something that he wants to do in our lives. And for Jesus, this was a moment where the, the wilderness, the desert, was actually necessary because of what God was doing in the story at that time. And so the point here is, is simply this to start with, that wildernesses are going to be part of our stories. And maybe you're in a wilderness right now, and it could be a health wilderness, and it could be a financial wilderness, and it could be a relationship wilderness, and it could be a work wilderness, and it could just be a doubt wilderness, but you're in some wilderness right now, and maybe your prayer is like, okay, God, why did you bring me here? 
but you're sensing in this moment that you're spiritually vulnerable, even to some of these other temptations in life. And we need to be reminded of the fact that spiritual journeys often lead us to these difficult passages. But they are passages. We don't have to stay there. And in this story ends, Jesus leaves the wilderness. And as this story ends, the devil leaves Jesus. And we go on to another day. But there are going to be times in our lives when we come to these wilderness moments and where we're going to be weak and where temptation is going to be strong. So what do we do? Well, that's the setup that we've got this morning. And Jesus is in this situation when the, when the enemy shows up, the devil, and he comes with three temptations. And so let's just look at these temptations here quickly. Uh, the first temptation is to turn stones to bread. Now that seems reasonable, as I mentioned before. And there was no reason why Jesus couldn't do that. He was God, in fact. I mean, Jesus made all the food that there is in the world at creation or, or, or the ability to create that food at creation. And so he could do what he's already done in the past. And yet Jesus pushes back against that and says, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, why does he push back? Well, first of all, this would have been Jesus' first miracle. He hasn't performed any other miracles up to this time. So to do this would be his first miracle and it would have been Jesus using his first miracle to do something for himself. And that's really what this temptation was. It was to, hey, you need to worry about you, Jesus. And so many of our temptations in life are simply that, where the devil comes to us and says, hey, you need to worry about you because nobody else is worrying about you. And you're like, you know, you got a point there, and I do need to be about me. And we make foolish choices then because of that self-interest. But this temptation really was to Jesus not to turn stones to bread, but to put physical needs ahead of spiritual needs. And this is really the concept, I think, of Lent. If you trace it back, because I look at this and I'm like, I do not know what the story of the wilderness and Easter have to do with each other. Well, this fasting idea that that's comes from this is this idea that for 40 days, we're going to make this spiritual more important than the physical. And so if you want to observe Lent this morning, be my guest. I, I would you know, encourage you to do that if that's something. But you've noticed in today's world we don't just give up food. Sometimes, you know, I'll give up, you know, TV or I'll give up, you know, this or I'll give up, this, you know, chocolate or whatever. And we find these different things to give up. But the point is I'm going to use that self-deprivation to be a trigger to me to remind me of the fact that the spiritual needs to be the most important in my life. And so when I'm craving chocolate, I'm going to like, no, chocolate, I'm going to think, oh, you know what? This reminds me that I need to be about Jesus Christ. And that's really uh, what was going on here in this temptation. Well, there's a second temptation that comes here, and it's that the devil encourages Jesus to worship him, and in exchange, the devil will give him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, if you go all the way back into the Garden of Eden, the ruler over the kingdoms of the world at that point was actually man. And when the devil came and tempted man and man fell in the garden, he relinquished control over those kingdoms to the enemy. And Satan's been ruling ever since. And we see that in our world today, how devastating that can be. But when Jesus came, he came to bring the kingdom. And the devil is saying, hey, I'll give you back these kingdoms. If you just worship me, and Jesus is like, no, 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 we're not going to go there. 
And Jesus at that time did establish the kingdom, and the kingdom does continue to grow, and the kingdom is here. But that's what's going on at this place. But what is actually the point of this temptation is this, is that um, the devil was encouraging Jesus to do the right thing in the wrong way. Because ultimately, Jesus is going to rule over all the kingdoms of the earth again. And his kingdom is here, and his kingdom is growing, and his kingdom is growing even in places like Ukraine. But ultimately, his kingdom will be over all this earth. But the only way to get there was the cross. And so if Jesus had capitulated here to the enemy, he could have avoided the cross, and he could have gotten to the right place, but he would have gotten there the wrong way. And so many of our temptations deal, are in that area where our motives may be good, our intentions may be good, but we start to scheme or we start to devise ways that we can get there that really aren't what they should be. Or sometimes we just like make excuses for ourselves. That's what's going on in this temptation. Well, I know I shouldn't, but look what's going to result over here. And we get ourselves in trouble that way. Well, the third temptation was this, to jump off the temple. And that temptation was to presume on or to manipulate God or to use God for his own benefit. And it actually was taken uh, from that passage there in Psalm 90 where it talks about that God will protect his own. But this, the devil comes, and isn't it interesting there? He actually quotes Scripture to Jesus as a temptation. It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? And that's what he's doing. Hey, jump off here. And if God really is God and you're really who you say you are, well, then God will catch, the angels will catch you and you can prove to the whole world. But it was a, a desire to, for, to, to make Jesus presume upon God. And so the, the uh, temptation is to use God for your own benefit. But what do these temptations have in common? First of all, these temptations were all self-focused. Here, do this, Jesus, for you. Turn these stones to bread for you. Um, Take over these kingdoms so everybody can worship you. Uh, jump off here so you can prove you can prove to the world how special you are. And when we face temptations in our stories, usually that's the thing. They're about me, and I want to do this because of how it affects me. The second thing here is these temptations all involve some level of deception. What Satan was promising there wasn't the whole story, was it? Well, if you will do this, but there were more ramifications to follow. And that's one of the challenges for us and one of the problems for us is we see the right here and now and we don't see how it plays out down the road. And so the devil's thing is always, hey, play now, pay later. And God's thing is like, how about if you pay now and, and then you can play later. But there's a theological uh, question that's involved in this story, and it's this. The question is whether or not Jesus was actually able to, as God, give in to temptation. And there's terms for this, and theologians have debated this on and off for, for, for decades and for centuries. And I don't honestly know the answer. I do know this. Jesus did not give in to the temptation. So he went to the cross. He went to the cross sinless so that he could die in our place and for our sins. But there's another question in this story that fascinates me. And so let's look at that here as we looked at Jesus' response. And actually, I would call it Jesus' resistance. But what does Jesus do in, in all of these temptations is he quotes Scripture back to Satan. The question that I wrestle with is how did he know these Scriptures? Well, there's two possibilities the first possibility would seem like the obvious one. Well, he's God. 
Right? So he knows, should know the Bible because he wrote the Bible, and so he should be quoting these scriptures because, obviously, I mean, that just makes sense. But there's a second possibility here that I want us to think about here this morning. Jesus came as a baby, and he grew up as a child, and we see that it says he grew in favor of God and man. But he went through the paces of growing into adulthood. But as a Jewish male, one of those paces would have been going to the Jewish synagogue. And when he went to the Jewish synagogue, he would have been educated in the law. But part of that education in the law for a young man growing up in the Jewish system was to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And so it's very possible. We want to say, well, he obviously he just knew the, the Bible here because he's got... It's very possible the reason that he knew the Scripture here is because he had memorized it when he was a kid growing up. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it takes us to what we were talking about last Sunday. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you in memorization. It's difficult for some of us as we get older, but memorization is one of the ways that we let the Word of God become a part of us. And so it's not just that as Satan comes, Jesus spits out a scripture. It's that as Satan comes, the scripture is so much a part of who Jesus is that he has an easy answer for that temptation. And that's the challenge for us this morning, is that we soak in scripture enough that it becomes part of us so that when temptations or tests or challenges come our ways, we don't have to say, oh no, now what do I do? It's already a part of us to know how we should answer. Have you ever had that situation where something comes up and you're like tempted and like this verse comes to mind? And you're like, oh, that's the answer right there. That's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to the place where we know the word so well that we know what the truth is. Now, let me say this. I don't think that there's any magic in memorizing and quoting scripture because we see in that passage, evidently Satan either had a copy that he was reading from or he had memorized and he was quoting scripture. It's not like we do this and we wave the magic wand and so if I'm tempted, I just like pull this out and read this verse. That's not the point. The point is that I have truth available to me so when that temptation comes, I can be like, oh, this is the truth that I need to live by in this moment. And Satan, here's the truth that I'm going to apply to this situation. You're just going to lose. And so Satan eventually does what? He says, okay. Because I'm not going to win in this situation at this moment. But we need to realize this, that in every temp uh, temptation that we face, there is a scriptural answer. And that's a huge point from this story because if, if it's food or if it's discouragement or if it's um, self-discipline or, or if it's a friendship, whatever it is that we're facing where temptation comes, we can find a scriptural answer to that. And maybe... It'll come to mind because we've soaked in it enough. And maybe we could find somebody else who will help us find us. But we need to head in that direction. It's not just enough to know the word, though. We've got to be able to apply it and use it and practice it. And so we need to know the word so that we can find the truth. So what's the takeaway from all this? Well, let's go back to where Jesus was quoting from, especially in this first temptation of turning stones to bread. And let me read from you this morning some more scripture. But as we sat and listened to scripture this morning, the idea is that it becomes part of us and starts to form us. But this is what is written in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8, verse number 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. 
so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands. And I wonder if Jesus stood in the wilderness at that time and said, I'm not the first one to be here. The Israelites were here in the wilderness. And what comes next, though, is so important. Verse number three, he humbles you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you what? To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, you don't have to be all worried about the physical because you have a God who's going to take care of you. So the physical doesn't need to be your driving factor. Your relationship with God needs to be your driving factor. And he will take care of the needs that you have along the way. Yes, you're hungry. Guess what? God sent manna, but he sent manna to say, I can supply any need that you have, not just physical need. So man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So Jesus could stand there in that moment and say, no, this is the truth. I don't need you to provide for me, Satan, because God will provide for me what I need. But this is a reminder to us this morning that life at its core is spiritual. It's a reminder to us that as we need food to thrive physically, we also need the word to thrive spiritually. And it's also a reminder of this, that the more that you make the word a part of you, the more likely you are going to be to be able to resist temptation. And so the word, the word is powerful. The word is powerful, not just as we memorize it, not just as we know it, but the word is powerful as we use it, as we apply it, as we make it the, the guide for how we live out our lives. And as we wrap up this message here this morning by looking at this reading from the first Sunday of Lent, the challenge for me to you is not that you give up something for Lent, although that's fine if you want to. The challenge for me to you is that you actually take up something for Lent. And what I'd like to ask you to take up for Lent goes back to this idea of the lectionary which is a daily reading. And in the growth guide this week, we've actually put in the Revised Common Lectionary daily readings for you every day this week. And you can find those on the YouVersion app. And Mark, if you could do this too, let's leave in the one from last week so people can go back to that too. If you didn't do last week's growth guide, I'd encourage you to go back and pick up on this. But the idea is, maybe for Lent this year, instead of giving up, how about if we take up this commitment that I'm going to make the Word of God a daily part of my spiritual diet because then the Word of Christ can dwell in me. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let me just ask a few questions this morning. The first question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Bible tells us that he became our sin because he didn't have his own sin because we deserve to die for our sin. Instead, he went to a cross in our place to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus promises that forgiveness and he promises a relationship with God, our Father, and he promises eternal life with him 
if you will simply invite him into your life and ask him to give you that gift of salvation. If you haven't done that, you can do that where you sit in your seat this morning. It's a simple prayer between you and God requesting that gift of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, the question to you this morning, let me ask you too. First of all, what's the temptation that you're facing? And how are you using the word to face that temptation? And maybe you need to make a commitment to go back into the word to, to get some ammunition, as it were, in that temptation. My second question is for you this morning, where's the wilderness that you're facing? Because if you're not careful in that wilderness, the devil will use this time in your life when you're weak, maybe emotionally or physically or mentally, he'll use this time to tempt you. And you need to be prepared. And I would encourage you to make that prayer of commitment to God with your help. Even in this time of wilderness, I will resist this temptation. And so God, we commit ourselves to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.